In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Today is Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent, where the church switches gears from celebrating the Christ child's birth and the fullness of Jesus revealed to the world. We switch from that towards the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry and his sacrifice for us all with his death on the cross. Today's readings are not comfortable to hear or to speak on. The same light of Christ that keeps hope alive within us is also used to reveal just how far from the path of righteousness we have strayed. And if we continue looking down that path, just a little bit further, we can see the consequences of those sins. It is a far cry from the scene on the hillside where we hear angels singing Gloria in excelsis Deo. Those glorious sounds have faded away, and instead we are greeted with the sound of a trumpet and an alarm, warning of dangers ahead and the call to action, for as Joel says, the day of the Lord is coming. A reading from Joel speaks of an army described as being so vast and so terrible that it could blot out all the light from the mountains. And this army is coming for Zion. In fact, they can be seen marching closer and bringing destruction and judgment and certain death with them. Hence the alarm. Perhaps more troubling is the realization that it is God who is actually the one commanding these invaders. It is God who is actively taking up arms against his chosen people. Let all who live in the land tremble. There's no problem there. I can already tremble. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. As terrifying as the verses have been, this declaration is altogether staggering. Return to me. Return to me. Those are the words of a loving father, not a judge bent on con- of condemning his people, not a general very much ready to take down a city. Those are the words of someone who loves you and sees a better way for you to live. Return to me. This is both a command and an invitation. Another way of understanding this, if you were me paraphrasing it, could be return to me. But understand that if you do, I want everything. I want your admission of guilt. I want your apology. I want your repentance. But most of all, I want nothing less than your entire heart. You see, our God is so much more than we can fathom. He's more holy. He's more loving. He's more powerful 
he's more compassionate. He's more just and he's more merciful. He is all of those things. Now, he cannot abide by our sin, but he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But we must repent and we must ask for his mercy in spite of our sinfulness and our faithlessness. This is what the call to action is for God's people. The sound of the trumpet that we hear is not to arms, to arms, defend the castle gates. This is danger is coming. Drop to your knees and repent. No one is exempt from this. Nothing, nothing is more important than repentance. For God's people. That's why the invitation includes even the youngest of infants and the newlyweds and everyone in between. There is nothing, no stage in life, no moment so important that you are not called to repent. Richard Patterson says it this way. The repentant heart is the only soil in which the regenerated soul can grow. Now, Psalm 51 articulates this beautifully, the work of repentance and restoration that God wants to do in each of our lives. David writes this particular psalm, and he uses vivid imagery of needing to be cleaned after succumbing to some of his basest human nature, and in particular, in taking Bathsheba and sinning against the Lord. The phrases, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, are all normally physical actions that take something from a state of being dirty and defiled and making it clean and fit for use again. And this is what David is asking the Lord to do, not just on the outside. This isn't just washing his hands of a situation. He is saying, do this to my heart. Do this to my soul. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is David's plea, and it's the hope that he has for God's mercy despite the acknowledgement that his sins have some very real consequences. What's important to note, according to John Golden Gay on this particular psalm, is that David assumes that it may be possible to get the judge, God, to have mercy. Relationships with God are not like experiences in a court of law where the judge has to do what the law says. So, even though David recognizes his sin for what it is, he decides to ask for mercy, and he repents. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. David gets it. Nothing, no sacrifices, no promises, no oaths, nothing but utterly turning away from sin and turning towards God. God the Father will do. Return to me. 
return to me. And so we come to our gospel reading for today, which is a portion of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's wonderfully plain here. So often Jesus talks in ways that we don't understand, but this is as clear as he gets. He teaches us about what it's like to live a righteous life and what it means to live in a way that is pleasing to God. When I was reading them this week, what struck me over and over again is that Jesus assumes that righteous living will naturally include giving, praying, and fasting. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, not if, when. If you need any help getting started this Lent on what you should be repenting for or where God can work to bring about some of this restoration, start by asking yourself, how regularly am I giving to the needy? How regularly do I pray for myself, for others, for the world? How regularly am I fasting? Not just from food, mind you, but fasting from other things too. Jesus makes it pretty clear that doing any of these acts of righteousness in and of themselves are not enough. It matters where your heart is while you're doing it. Sincere humility and generosity, piety, can only occur in these moments when you are trying to be righteous if you are not wrapped up in yourself. It is a choice to turn a choice to repent, to relinquish your heart to God so that his light may shine undimmed in you. It is this light of Christ that is eternally flickering in your soul, and it will illuminate every murky corner where sin has gotten in and has been allowed to flourish, while simultaneously being a beacon of hope to all those who do not know the Lord yet. It is a mysterious, frightening, and wonderful thing. Jesus also speaks about acting out our righteousness in secret, even telling us to anoint your head and to wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father, or to pray in a locked closet. So you may be asking, why are we bothering with all of this outer symbolism? of repentance, of piety. Why are we doing this whole Lent thing if Jesus told us not to? Well, there's a couple good reasons. First of all, it's assumed that we're doing these things, praying, fasting, being generous, and too often we have set those aside. So Lent is a good time to get back to that. We may choose to embrace a self-imposed hunger, of a fast on days like today, so that we may genuinely remember what it is like to feel hungry, what it feels like to need to rely on someone else, something completely other than ourselves. We need to be reminded of what it is that we are actually like if we are not completely satisfied for the moment. We are a people with seemingly few needs these days. And we have made the mistake with thinking that because we feel momentarily satisfied, we don't need God. 
the same way that someone who is desperate for food or desperate for shelter or anything else does. And that is a lie. We are no better off. We choose possibly to wear the sign of the cross on our foreheads so that we can be reminded every time we look at our reflection this evening that we are dust and to dust we will return. We are in fact part of a creation formed out of the earth and from the breath of God, the breath of life itself. We are not our own. And wearing the sign of the cross on our foreheads tonight with ash, we can be visibly different from the world in a way that we rarely are, declaring that though we are in this world, we are not of it. We can potentially, I know it's later this evening, but if you're going out still, you can step into that awkward and unusual space of publicly being recognized as being religious, or an outsider, or someone who simply acknowledges that we need something more than this world has to offer. And this is in stark contrast to the roses and flowers and chocolates that are flooding our homes today. We can choose to give up something for Lent, to strip away some of our creature comforts that insulate us from experiencing the sadness and the pain and the longing of living in a broken world. And this stripping away exposes our fragile hearts. And and by the way, I want to say, we can sometimes set down things that are good too. They're not always bad. But when they have so constricted our heart, we need to pull back the layers. So when we do that, when we use these practices to strip back the layers from our hearts, to reveal them in their fragile and broken and hopefully contrite state, that it allows us then to turn them over to the great physician for healing. This is what the Lord means when he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. It's not the ash on the forehead, but the repentance in your heart that he's after. Remember that it is God who calls out to you today and all of Lent, And he calls out to me, and he calls out to all people who deserve nothing less than what our actions have warranted. And instead, he says, repent and return to me. Turn away from sin and be faithful to Christ. Return to me. Amen.